Turn in your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, covering uh, verse 7 to 56. We're going to finish a chapter out of it, so pray for me. (laughs) I titled this morning's message, Jesus' Preparation of the Twelve. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. Lord, your word is so rich. It's so full of insight and practical things for each one of us here. Lord, when we think about just being those witnesses in this world, Lord, as you took and you prepared uh, these disciples, Lord, to go out into this world and to be a witness, Lord, it's that same preparation that you're doing in our hearts. You want to prepare us, Lord, to, to be those witnesses every day, day in and day out for you. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you've given to each one of us as believers to be a a spokesperson for you, to go out and be hands and feet for those people that are in need. And Lord, would you give us that compassion that you have for people like you had? And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The timeline that we've been working with we're in the sixth chapter of mark and the timeline that we've been working with right now is accelerating fairly quickly remember that this time that jesus is spending in this region of galilee uh, lasted for about two years remember that we've already talked about jesus birth and his growing up in that city of nazareth where that was 30 years of his life. Think about that. Jesus didn't start his public ministry until the age of 30 years old. After he left Nazareth, this was going to be the time now that Jesus was going to um, be ready himself for the ministry that was ahead. And it started with his water baptism. When Jesus was marked out as the Messiah, uh, the, the one that they had been waiting for. And John the Baptist baptized him there in that Jordan River. We know that this uh, period also included a time of temptation where Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And we know that this time frame was about a four-month period. We then went and saw how Jesus, and this is not spoken of in this Gospel, but His ministry began and there was another eight-month period where Jesus ministered in the area of Judea, which was that area that surrounded uh, Jerusalem. Then Jesus made his way up to Galilee. And that's where Mark's gospel begins. Two years of ministry that we see laid out here in the gospel of Mark. Actually about two and a half years of ministry in this gospel. But the last part of Jesus' ministry, it actually begins in chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel. It's when Jesus then leaves Galilee and He begins to head towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. And then from chapter 11 to the last chapter of Mark's Gospel, we have the last week of Jesus' life. Five chapters that are committed just to the last week of His life before He went to the cross, going to the cross, and then His resurrection. And so that's the whole Gospel of Mark right there. That's, that's the timeline. But last week, when we started chapter 6, I shared 
about the people that were in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, that there was a heart of unbelief that was there amongst his own people, the people that he grew up with in those 30 years of ministry. These were the people that were the hardest to reach. Just like we find quite often that it's hard to reach those people that are closest to us. Jesus knew when he came into his hometown that the people were going to be resistant and that they were, there were going to be many that had hearts set on unbelief. But we read in, in verse 5 about the people there, it says that Jesus could do no mighty works there. Just think of all the mighty works that Jesus was doing in other cities and in that whole area of Galilee, but he could do no mighty works in his own hometown. It says that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And that was the extent of what Jesus had done. And then we're told in verse six that Jesus, Jesus, excuse me, he marveled because of their unbelief. This chapter chapter 6, is really a chapter of unbelief. It's a chapter of people lacking faith and being able to see Jesus for who He is. And even in His own disciples, they even struggled with faith on many occasions. And we're going to see that this morning in this chapter. I shared last week that Jesus only, we find two times in Scripture where Jesus marveled. One time was with the Roman centurion who exhibited great faith and Jesus marveled at his faith. And then this time in Nazareth where Jesus marveled at the unbelief of the people there. In verse 14 of this chapter, we're going to see another king. It's King Herod, who also was a man of unbelief. He tried to attribute even the miracles and the things that he had heard about Jesus, he tried to attribute them to a resurrected John the Baptist. Remember, this is the king that beheaded John the Baptist. We're going to read of that even this morning. There were others, though, that questioned Jesus, who he was. Some thought that he was a prophet. Some thought that he was just a miracle. The people had all their various opinions, just like they do today, of who Jesus is. Jesus also in this chapter is going to feed the 5,000. And we read in verse 37 where Jesus told his disciples, he says, you give them something to eat. And the disciples said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Even his own disciples had a struggle with faith. Even after all the miracles that they had seen, they had already seen a young girl raised from the dead. And here they are struggling over the idea of feeding this multitude of people. In verse 49, we see right after Jesus had fed the 5,000, we see Jesus come walking out on water. Think of that miracle. And the disciples once again are in the boat. And they're supposing that He's a ghost as He comes walking by them as they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Again, another time that these disciples were lacking faith. Look at your Bibles at verse 7. 
we read, and Jesus called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. Remember back in chapter 3, if you were here, we know that Jesus one day, he went up onto a mountain, and we're told that when the disciples had come to him, he appointed 12. He, in a sense, he ordained those 12 to now become apostles, ones that were going to be sent out, that were going to go out and be witnesses of him. He had trained them, and now it was time for him to prepare them to go out on their own. First he calls them, and then he gives them instructions on how they should go. We read then, uh, we go on to read that he, he sent them out two by two. Uh, look at verse 8. It says that he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Uh, how would you like to be sent out by Jesus? You're going into the mission field, you're going out, and here's Jesus telling them, don't take anything with you. Just the clothes on your back, go out with that. And you see, Jesus wasn't trying to be insensitive to the needs they might have. What he was wanting them to be is fully dependent upon him. Do you ever find that hard? To be fully dependent upon your Lord? For every circumstance of life, when it comes to ministry, are we fully dependent upon our Lord for His provisions, for His resources in our life? You see, we struggle with these areas too. But Jesus knew if He sent these men out with all these things, He had all the extras and all that they would need, that they would put trust in those things. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he talked about trust in Christ. He says, we have such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. This is Paul, Apostle Paul speaking of his own ministry. Sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. You see, the Apostle Paul, a church planter, somebody that was out in the mission field, most of his ministry, he came to realize that his sufficiency needed to be in his Lord, in God. It's where we need to be, where we need to remain. He told them, take nothing for your journey except a staff. Now, a staff was used for walking, but a staff was also used for protection. And, and so Jesus says, take your staff along. Don't take two staffs. Take one staff along with you. Don't take a bag with you either. And that bag to those disciples may have been one of two types of bags. One of the bags that they would typically carry around the, the people of that day was a bag that was used for begging. Uh, others carried, and sometimes the priests would carry a, a collection bag that they would go into the city and they would take up collections of monies that they would take back for the temple work. Jesus is telling his disciples, take no bag with you. 
He says also, don't take bread. And they would typically carry a a bag that they might have one to two days of provisions within that bag. Some bread, maybe some some, uh, raisins and some olives. And they would carry these things for their provision. Jesus is even saying to them, don't even take a bag for food. He says, and don't take any copper with you. He's speaking about money. Don't take money in your money belt along with you. Just simply wear your sandals. Just wear your your one pair of garments and put on your sandals. Don't take two tunics with you. Don't take an extra tunic with you. Just take what's on your back and go. Now, to me, that sounds pretty radical. I mean, that, that sounds like, you know, I, I, it just made me think when I went into the mission filled with my family. I showed up at LAX in California there at the airport. And you know what we had with us? You know one of those big carts? And the airline allowed you to have two maximum size cardboard boxes full of provisions? We maxed it out. I was sitting there with 10 big boxes sitting on this rolling cart ready to go into the mission field. And here he is telling these disciples, just go with the clothes on your back. To me, that is radical. It's how he wanted them to go. He wanted them to learn to be completely dependent upon him. It's important for us to note, though, that on that last night, Luke's Gospel records this, that Jesus sat with his disciples at that last supper Remember the night that he was going to be betrayed and arrested? And this is what he said to his disciples that time on another occasion. He says, when I sent you without money bag, he's reminding them of this pastime. When I sent you without money bag, a knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? He's asking them a question. Was there any lack when you went out that way? And they said nothing. No, we didn't lack anything. And then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And so on this occasion, Jesus is sending them out in a different way. He taught them a lesson back here in Mark's Gospel, of sending them out with nothing except for the clothes on their back. And here he is now telling them to take these things when you go. And so don't ever put God in a box. Don't say He does it this way, that way. He can do what He wants to do. He gave them further instructions in verse 10 through 11. Jesus said to them, In whatever place you enter a house... Stay there till you depart from that place. And wherever and whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, he says, then shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it is for that city. When... You enter that city, Jesus says to them, into that village or that town that you come to. 
And you begin to make contact with the people there in that city. He says there's going to be people, they are very hospitable people, and still are today, very hospitable. And they're going to, uh, some are going to invite you to come and stay with them in their homes. Jesus says when you're invited to come into their home, then stay in that home. Don't kind of canvas the city and try and find a better place, better accommodations, a more comfortable setting. Take the offer, stay in that home, and remain in that home until it's time to leave that city. If you enter into a city and no one wants to receive you, no one is open to the gospel, no one wants to take you in, then Jesus says, then shake the dust off your feet. And that was a typical thing that a, a Jew would do. If he, if he walked into a city that was predominantly a Gentile city, they would take it in a sense like a, they'd shake the dust off their feet because they're leaving a city that was predominantly Gentile. And so even Jesus saying this to His disciples would have been something new if they would have walked into a predominantly Jewish city or town. But he's telling them in light of the God, if they don't receive your words of the gospel, then shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next city. What's interesting to me is that Jesus sends you and I. He sent the disciples and he sends you and I at times to people who don't want to hear. Have you ever noticed that? Not everybody wants to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Not, everybody, and not everyone will receive when you attempt to share your faith with them. But does God still call us to share? He does. Because they'll become accountable. God wants people to hear the gospel. Whether they hear or whether they don't hear, they will know that God spoke. They will hear the gospel and they're accountable with it. It goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Do you see the warning that he's given to his disciples? He says, you can give that city a warning. Have you ever given an individual a warning? You've shared the gospel. I've given many warnings out to people through the years where I've shared the good news. They've heard the whole gospel. And then it ends with, you know, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready for that. You know, I know what you're telling me is, is probably true, and you know, it's good, it's right, but, but I'm not ready for that. And quite often I feel compelled that I have to give a, a warning to that person. And the Bible says you know, that we're not to put off till tomorrow what we can do today. Because your life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment, and then it vanishes away. And that's the state that people stand in when they reject the gospel. Jesus says it'll be more tolerable than the city of Sodom and Gomorrah when God rained down His judgment upon that ungodly city. Their destiny was at stake. Jesus says, warn them. And then we see in verse 12, look what we see. So they went out. Can you imagine for the first time leaving the Lord's side and those 12 men going out on their own? They didn't have Jesus with them at the side anymore. Now they're going to travel throughout Galilee there. And they're going to be taking the gospel themselves. So they went out. They were obedient. 
to his commandment. Did you know that we've been given a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples? Did you know that's gone out to us? And it it requires on our part obedience to do that. And that doesn't mean going into the mission field. Our mission field can be right here. Right here on Wednesday. It could be at your workplace. It could be wherever you're at. That's your mission field, wherever you're at. It could be your family. It could be in a number of different ways, but we're all called to go. We're told in verse 12 again, so they went out. And they preached that people should repent. And what they were telling people to repent from is not just from their sin, though that was part of repentance. They were really telling them to repent from their unbelief also. There were many that didn't believe. And as they began to preach the Gospel, about Jesus, that He has come. He's here amongst us now. It's proven by His miracles. You've heard the miracles. You've seen the things. Some of you, you have even seen these things done. You need to repent. You need to turn from your unbelief. And you need to turn towards God. You need to turn from your sin. And you need to turn away from that sin towards God. And it says... And the disciples, in verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus gave them the power and He gave them the authority to go out and to do those same types of miracles that they saw Jesus do. He passed the baton to them, so to speak. He says, I want you to go out and do likewise. And I'm giving you all the power and the authority. Do you know that that power and authority was also given to you? You can read it in Matthew 28. All power and authority is given to me, Jesus says. And then He says, go therefore into all the world and preach the Gospel. Make disciples. That has been given to you and I. Remember what I said when we started this Gospel that the ministry of Jesus consisted of a healing ministry, a ministry of miracles. It was also, though, a preaching ministry. Remember, preaching is for the unsaved. But it was also a teaching ministry. Teaching ministries for those who know Christ. And so, here's Jesus living out by example in front of these disciples for almost two years now. And now He's going to send them out on their own. And He's going to give them power and authority to do the same. We know that the disciples, that they didn't need to be concerned with who was going to receive Christ and who wasn't. They just needed to be obedient. And that's the same with us. God doesn't call you to save anyone. Aren't you thankful? He doesn't call us to go out and save anyone. That only belongs to God. God is the only one that can save a soul. All He calls us to do is to go out and be obedient and to share the truths of the Gospel and leave the salvation to Him. I like that. It takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? We don't have to go out and save anyone. We just need to be obedient and we need to trust Him that He will give you everything you need to do that. We come to verse 14 where we now have King Herod. And we even have others that were questioning who Jesus was. 
You see, nothing's ever changed, has it? People do the same thing today. They question who Jesus is. You know, if you want to go out on the street and, and, and go out and start asking people that question, who do you think Jesus was? Who do you think Jesus is? Do you know that you will get multiple answers to that? There's lots of people with different ideas of who Jesus is. Some believe that He was just a a divine being. Some people believe that He was just a man. Just like you and I. That He was just a prophet, a wise man. Some believe that he He was half man and half God. The fact is He was all man and He was all God. Some believe that He was a divine God that was sent by God. Some believe that He's Michael the Archangel. Some people believe that He was just a great teacher, that He was a faith healer. You see, and and, and all of these are false. They're all false perceptions of who Jesus is. They just need to look at the Word of God. The Word of God declares who Jesus is. If you want to know what I believe about Jesus, if you want to know what this church believes about Jesus, well, you can just go to our website. You can look at our statement of faith. And this is what it says. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, possessing two distinct natures which are co-joined in one person, that He was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless and miraculous life, provided for the atonement of our sins by His vicarious substitutionary death on the cross, was physically resurrected in the same body that was buried in the tomb by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ physically ascended back to the right hand of God the Father in heaven and ever lives to make intercession for us, After Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the believers in Jerusalem, enabling them to fulfill His command to preach the gospel to the entire world, an obligation shared by all believers today. That's who Jesus is. Mark now goes into recounting the death of John the Baptist. And we read that in verse 17, it says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. That was his half-brother. And he actually, King Herod divorced his wife so that he could marry his half-brother's wife, Herodias. And that didn't set well with John the Baptist who was now locked up in prison by King Herod. Because John said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He made a stand, didn't he? For what was right. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man. And he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came 
when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias, Herodias's daughter herself came in and she danced and she pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Isn't that crazy? What a man will do. Just because this woman comes and dances for him, all of his pride and all of his lust, everything, you can have half of the kingdom, not even realizing what she would ask for. So she went out and she said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked asked saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths, because of those who sat with him, And I'll say because of his pride, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and they took away the corpse and laid it in a tomb. That's all written for us to know the history of what happened to the forerunner of Jesus Christ. The one who would pave the way for the Messiah to come on the scene. And God allowing him, him standing up for truth as he was in that prison. It's called the Macheris prison. They have that location today. You can go, there's just still a little remnant wall of of the foundation wall around. It's still there. It overlooks the Dead Sea. The remains of that prison are there today. And even on one of the walls, there's still some of the shackles and possibly one that John the Baptist was chained to there, the the prison in Macheris. Can you imagine what goes on to bring the head of John the Baptist on? You can have half of the kingdom. And what I really want is the head of John the Baptist. Do you see the spiritual warfare that rages when the Gospel, when people make a stand for truth? If you make a stand for truth, believe me, there will be people that won't like you. They won't like what you stand for. And it will cost you something. It costs John the Baptist his head, his life. But you know what? in God's perspective of things, and I believe even in John's perspective and many other martyrs for Jesus Christ, it was worth it. He went down in history as a martyr of Jesus Christ. But it was worth it. After the disciples arrived back from their first missionary journey, they had much to tell Jesus. They had gone out on their own They'd seen how God had worked through them mighty miracles and works. Can you imagine what that time was for them? This is what makes Christianity exciting. How many of you have been a Christian for longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. Quite a few of you. Been a Christian for a while. 
And we know what it is to be a Christian for a while and to attend church. and do. But we also know what it is, I'm sure all of us do, I know I do, where we can say that there were times in my Christian walk where I, I felt like I was getting dry. I felt like there, you know, and, and you know what spurs on the heart of a dry Christian? Let God use you. Let God actually use you in, in presenting the gospel or going out and, and where you would just know that God used me. You see, we take in as Christians, don't we? We take in every week the Word of God. We hear the Holy Spirit speak things into our hearts. We pick up the Word of God, or at least we should daily. We spend time with the Lord and we receive, but we're not giving out. You see, if you don't give out, you're going to get dry. We are called to receive and we're called to give out. We're we're called to, to get full and then we're called to empty ourselves out. You see, and that's what makes for a healthy Christian. That's what makes for us to have an exciting, vibrant Christian walk is that we're actually being used of the Lord. And we know it. We saw how God gave me the words to speak in the moment that I needed them. When I, when I took and I stepped out on that water and I opened my mouth and all of a sudden I was sharing the gospel with somebody and God, you brought that verse back to my mem- remembrance. That one that I memorized years ago and here I was sharing it with this individual. Jesus says, I'll give you the words to speak in the moment that you need them. When those disciples arrived back from their journey, I believe that they were excited, but they were also exhausted. I believe that they probably had very sore feet, walking a lot of miles, going from city to city and town to town. And you know what? When we do that for Jesus Christ, it's worth it. I've seen and I've been on teams, I've been on missions trips with brothers and sisters that are giving it all up on that trip. They're just exhausted. But they're filled. They're full. There's joy in their face because they're out there doing the Lord's work. They're giving out to people instead of just taking in. I've been on relief efforts where we've gone out and people are spent by the end of the day. And they're thinking it's all worth it. They're full of joy. I've been to Nigeria. I've been to Honduras. I've been to the Philippines. I've been to quite a few places in this world doing missions work and watching my brothers and sisters along with myself just giving themselves up for the Lord. If you've never been on a mission trip, uh, we got one coming up, Lord willing, here this summer. You can see Pastor Scott. We're going to take a team to Honduras. Take a step of faith and go out and, and put God to the death and see that God won't do something incredible through you. It's fun to get exhausted for Jesus. To give it all up. I'm not talking about burning out. Anybody that burns out, they're doing it in their own flesh. Jesus doesn't want us to burn out. He'll give us everything we need to do what we're going to do. But it's good to be exhausted for Jesus. I know Bruce has gone out with Samaritan's Purse on many occasions and seen that firsthand with people just exhausted for the things of the Lord. I've seen people in our VBS here 
give it all up, man. They've been making for weeks on end, getting prepared to put a VBS on for these children. And then the day of, or the couple days that they're here, they're giving it up for these kids. They're doing it in the name of Jesus. They're doing it for him. Look at verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus after they had returned and told him all things, both of what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were, come, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. You ever been in that way in ministry? You just, <laughs> there's so much going on. We can't even squeeze in a time to eat. It happened to Pastor Scott on the ride along. They were going to go to Chick-fil-A and then here comes the call. Here we go. And we're heading out again. I've had that many times. It's, it's actually my life in ministry. But it's worth it. When I read this though, I, I think of the many times that I've heard the statement, welcome to the ministry. Because you see, that's what ministry is about. It's about giving it up. We, uh, we're not above our Master. He gave it all up for us. And we're to follow in His steps. I think it's so cool to see how these disciples got tired. How they, how they, they had to give it up in that way. And, and, and then Jesus is still not done with them. He, he still has more for them. He, he tells them, let's go and, and, and go to this deserted place so that we can rest a while. Doesn't that sound refreshing? A lot of times I'll, I'll go on a mission trip and we save the last day for a little retreat out. And then the whole team goes out into this, you know, wherever it might be, some beautiful place in the country where, and we just have a, a relaxing day. There's some wisdom in that. You minister and then you need to refresh. You need to relax. You need to have that time. But Christians, always be ready. It doesn't matter if you're going away to relax. You ever gone on a vacation? And then you're, you know, you're gone on a vacation, you don't pick up your Bible, you don't pray for a week, two weeks. Don't do that. When we get away, we still go away and we still need to be ready no matter where we're at. Verse 32, so they departed to this deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude, we're told, they saw them getting into this boat. They saw Jesus. They saw the disciples departing from the shore. And so many of them knew Jesus and they ran there to the place where Jesus was going to arrive on the other side. They ran, they, they ran there on foot from all of the cities that were around about the sides of the Sea of Galilee there. And they arrived before them. So it's actually a quicker route to go across in the boat. But these people were trucking it. They were making their way and running around the Sea of Galilee so that when Jesus arrived, they would be there. 
And he does, and he arrives, and before them, they come together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, what does Jesus see? Look at your Bibles, verse 34. He saw a great multitude, and then look what it says, and he was moved with compassion for them. You heard Pastor Scott speak about what he shared yesterday at the men's breakfast about the compassion of our Lord. Something that he wanted to teach his disciples about. Have you ever tried to muster up compassion? You know, just kind of work it up. I got to have compassion for these people, these down and out, these people that are, you know, that bother me, these neighbors that I don't like. This. Yeah, have you ever tried to muster up any compassion for people? I'm talking about the unlovelies, the people that you may not normally want to, you know, and you want to, you can't do it, can you? You see, that compassion comes from deep within. It's something that is the heart of our Lord. It's something that He puts inside of you and He actually supernaturally gives you a compassion for people that don't know Christ. For people that are in need. He saw the great multitude. And Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. I thought we were here to rest. I thought we came away to to get away for some rest and relaxation. When the day was far, excuse me, verse 34, when the day was now far spent, the day was drawing on, It was getting towards evening. His disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. And look what verse 36 says. What a contrast. Send them away. The disciples said to Jesus, send the people away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. People were hungry. It was a multitude of people that were there. Jesus was moved with compassion for the multitudes that were there. And He began to teach them. And here's the disciples weary from their journeys, coming back and Jesus saying, let's go to the other side to a deserted place where we can rest a while. And they arrive and this multitude of people are there standing on the shore. Maybe they were irritated over that. Come on, I thought we were here to rest. Send them away. Can you imagine? I don't know if there was a look in Jesus' face when they said that. Maybe there was. Send them away, Jesus. Do you ever, did Jesus ever send anyone away that came to Him? He didn't. All that came to Him, He received and He touched and He healed. And if they came to Him, He would never send them away. And quite often, we want to push people away. We don't want to have to, we don't want to give them the time of day. They're bothering my schedule. It's costing me something. Send them away. 
that they can just go and buy food and, and, and then we can rest, Jesus. Here we go again. A lesson learned. A lesson that needs to be learned. Not only by the disciples, but by us also. Another lesson learned. And often when... And I, Jesus knew what to expect, didn't He? You think this caught Him off guard? Like Jesus was going, yeah, we did come here to rest. And, and look at it, we got all this multitude of people. And then He begins to teach them. And He's teaching His disciples at the very same time that you need to be ready even when you think you're going away to rest. You need to be ready to minister in season and out of season. Not just when it's convenient. You need to see the spiritual needs. You need to have a compassionate heart towards those people around you. Those people you work with. Those neighbors. Those people that just in your everyday life be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is within you with fear and meekness. Look at verse 37. But Jesus answered and said to them, look what He says, you give them something to eat. Do you think Jesus could give them something to eat? He could. And He will. But He says to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to Him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Their faith was about that big. They'd seen Jesus raise someone from the dead. They'd seen how Jesus had performed multiple miracles, many miracles. And here's this multitude standing here that are hungry, and they don't get it. And their faith is about that big. And they say, well, you know, it'll take 200 denarii to feed this crowd. By today's even minimum wage, that would be $14,000 approximately. Where are we going to come up with that kind of money to feed this group of people? I think Jesus was probably in his mind the whole while he's thinking these disciples... These apostles that just went out, that did miracles themselves, they need to learn. They need to be ready. They need to be men of faith, women of faith. We need to be those people. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? He asked them the question. You think Jesus knew the answer to that? He knew it. He says, go and see. Just go out and find. See what we have here. There was purpose in all of this. And when they found out, they came back to Jesus and says, we have five and two fish. That's it. Five loaves of bread and two little scrawny fish. That's all we found out of all this multitude of people. Lessons learned. Remember the theme of this Gospel? In Mark 10.45, it's a key verse to this whole Gospel. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That's why we have that book on the table on being a servant of God. God, would you make me a servant like you? Verse 39, look at your Bibles. Then Jesus commanded the disciples to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. It was probably early spring right now. So they sat down in ranks and hundreds and fifty. He actually had them organize them in, in groups of hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, we're told that Jesus looked up into heaven. Get this picture. He looks up into heaven. He blesses this bread and these fish. He breaks, he breaks the loaves. He breaks them in two and he gives them from his hand to his disciples to set before them, to go out and serve them. Go out and you, all of you 12, go out and you serve this multitude of people that are out there. You take the food to them. They're hungry. Jesus had already taught them. And now they're physically hungry. And he wanted them to learn that, you know what, they need the spiritual food, but they also need the physical food. You go out and you feed them. So as they sat in these ranks, eating their loaves and their fish, we're told in verse 42, so they all ate, and they were all filled, all of them. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fish. There were leftovers. 12 baskets one that would accommodate each one of the apostles. There were just the fragments, the leftovers. They even had more than enough. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking as they were handed their basket full of the fragments for themselves after they'd served all the people, after they had said, you know, 200 denarii, (laughs) no way. Lessons learned. By the way, the 5,000 was only the men. If you count the women and you count the children, this group of people could have been somewhere in the range of 15,000 people that were fed miraculously that day as that bread flowed out of the hands of our Lord as He broke it. And He handed it to the disciples and they went out and they fed the people. Look at verse 45. Immediately, there's that word quite often used in this gospel. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. (laughs) What happened to our vacation? I thought we came over here to rest. Man, I want you to get into the boat. And while he sent the multitude away, Jesus began to send them all away. When he had sent them away, he departed, Jesus did, by himself to a mountain to pray. What do you think he was praying? I think he was praying for these men. I think he was praying for them. 
I, I think he knew that these men, that they were, they, they, they were coming up short on faith. They needed another lesson learned. And, and Jesus is praying to his Father for these men that their faith would grow the same way that he prays for you and I. That our faith would grow. That we would learn through our times of stretching. And now look what happens once again. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. It's dark out. It's actually between sometime around 3 o'clock in the morning. How'd you like to be out in the, the Sea of Galilee with the wind and the storm kicking up at that time? These were fishermen, but you know here they are out in the middle. And Jesus was alone on the land praying for them. And then we're told in verse 48 that Jesus saw them straining. Get this picture. Jesus sees them out in the middle of the sea straining as they're rowing this boat to the other side. He's praying as He sees them straining in all of their effort their fruitless effort, trying to get to the other side in their own strength. How many of you are trying to get to the other side in your own strength? Trying to overcome that obstacle in life by your own strength, your own ingenuity, by your own money, by how you can fix the problem. And Jesus wanted to bring His men to the end of themselves. He let them strain across that lake. And the wind was against them. And the wind always speaks of that adversity in life. The wind was blowing again. They were, had a headwind that they were going across, against. And it's in the fourth watch of the night. Like I said, still, it, it's early morning. It's night out. And, and, and here's the other fascinating thing is that this is the second time in Mark's Gospel that we've read where Jesus actually directed them to go get into the boat, knowing that they were going to encounter this time of testing in their life. And then Jesus, we're told, look what it says, He comes to them. He comes walking on the sea. He comes off of the mountain where he was praying for them. He walks out onto the Sea of Galilee, walking on water, and we're told that he would have passed them by. He wanted them to actually see him, and, and he would have passed them by. But when he got to them, they were fearful. When, he saw, when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. They cried out. Remember when they cried out before? When they were going to be swamped and we're going to all perish, Lord? And the Lord said, O ye of little faith. And here they are, thinking that they're seeing a ghost walk. Nobody can walk on water. I mean, you would think that they would attribute it, that Jesus could. And wouldn't it have been wonderful if the that's Jesus. He's walking on the Jesus, get in the boat with us. Wouldn't that have been wonderful if that would have been us operating with that kind of faith? But they didn't. They were taken up in the moment with fear. And so Jesus comes to them and immediately He talked with them. Look at how it says immediately He did. In that moment when you need it, when you're at the end of yourself, when you're so full of fear and anxiety, then Jesus meets you. 
in that place. And look what he says. It's red letters if you have a red letter edition. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's what he said to them the first time they were in the boat. Caught up in the storm. Then Jesus went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and they marveled. Now what's interesting about the account here in Mark's Gospel, remember that it's very possible that Peter, the Apostle Peter, is dictating to Mark as he's writing this letter. And it doesn't even, it's not even in this Gospel here about Peter getting out of the boat and stepping out onto the water and going to the Lord and taking his eyes off the Lord and beginning to sink and Jesus reaching out and grabbing him. It's not even in here. When they saw him walking on the water, he wanted them to exhibit faith. But it revealed to them, he knew their faith was going to come up short. He knew it the first time. He wanted them to, to, to see how short their faith was, like he does when he allows us to go through those ad, times of adversity in life. And then we come out realizing, man, my faith wasn't what I thought it was. But here they are, amazed beyond measure, marveling, wouldn't you? But then look at verse 52. Remember I shared that this is a chapter of unbelief? For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Wow. We're just, we're just flesh, Christians. <laughs> this, this thing will, will, will fail quite often, won't we? And we do. And the Lord picks us back up by His mercy and grace. He dusts us off and He puts us back into ministry again. And He says, you know what? I just want you to learn. I just want you to learn through these times. And we'll finish with this. When He had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and they anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, there's that word immediately again, Immediately, the people recognized Jesus. They ran through uh, that whole surrounding region and they began to carry about on beds those who were sick to to wherever they heard He was, wherever He entered, into villages, cities, or the country. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and they begged Jesus that He might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched him were made well. What happened to our vacation? Walking a day with Jesus. Imagine just one day with the Lord. Would any of us endure? With through this, what we just read here, just chapter six. Let's forget everything else. Just, if you went through chapter 6, one day with the Lord, how would you come out on the other end? That's a good question, isn't it? For me also. How would we fare if the Lord were to put us in those conditions? Here's the fact. You are put in those conditions quite often. 
Here's the fact. You quite often do come up short. Here's the fact. The Lord does want to pick you back up and does pick you back up and put you back on solid footing again. Why? Because He knows that we're but dust. He knows who we are. He knows our makeup. He knows your lack and your shortcomings. And He's very gracious towards us, isn't He? We have that March 7th date coming up here for outreach. It's going to be an outlet for this church. I think if we allow the, uh, the Lord to flow through this church as an outlet, I think we're going to see a stirring in our midst. We might even see the church grow numerically. We might even see more people hungry to want to come and see what is going on in that place. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know what that's all a picture of? That's the picture of you and I. They don't care about the building. They care about what's in the building. That's what speaks to people. And so let's, uh, let's have the worship team come up. They're going to close us. I really strongly encourage you to pray about this outreach coming up. Just show up. You don't need to be figuring out what you're going to do or what you're going to be asked to do. There's going to be multiple ways you're going to be able to be used. I'm just asking that you would come out and see how God might use you in a way that you've never experienced before. That is going to be your time to step out onto the water and see what God won't do through you. And so I think it's going to be a, a, a wonderful day. I'm looking forward to it. Father, I thank you for the people, Lord, that you have brought to Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're one of many churches. We're one work, Lord, in this city of Winston-Salem. We're not the only work, we're one of many. But Lord, you want to use the people that are calling this church their home church. You want to use them to affect our city for you. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon each one of us this morning, that we would empty ourselves of ourself so that you might fill us with your power that we might go out and be a mouthpiece, a witness for You. That we would live our Christian walk uh, by example in front of people. They would see the love of Christ in us. They would see the power of God upon us. They would hear it in the words that we speak. They would see the fruit of the Spirit being poured out of our lives. God, that's what will impact this world. And Lord, we need Your power and we need Your Holy Spirit to do that. We're dependent upon You. There's nothing within ourself, Lord, that can do that. And so, Lord, would You fill us this morning with Your Spirit. Empower us, Lord, as You send us out the doors today. And we thank You for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.